Hello folks, <clears throat> welcome back to the RLS podcast, um, episode 80, <coughs> I start every single podcast with a cough, um, that's kind of just what happens, but yeah, episode 80 and the end of series, whatever you want to call it, the series between 70 and 80, um, it's felt like it's been a long kind of, like, well, I mean it's been 8 weeks, it's probably actually been 9 or 10 weeks to be fair, I think I probably missed 1 or 2 weeks because of holidays or something, I can't even remember to be honest, but no, I've, been, I've enjoyed this series and uh, I've had like, a couple of really good guests on. I've had my most listened to podcast of the year, uh, the two podcasts ago, which was the the podcast with Paul Brand. And I know I keep saying this, but I do need to make a more conscious effort to get more guests on. I know people like a mixture of like me just doing things and like they're obviously like people are keen to like hear from guests as well so i'm going to, i need to make a more conscious effort is the thing that i keep saying i'm going to do and i don't do it because i know that there are plenty of interesting people out there that want to have a blather um but sometimes just get a little bit comfortable with just like making up a topic myself and then just speaking about it so that is going to be the aim for next month well yeah so we're stopping for two weeks um so i can plan my live event a little bit more and then off the back of that we're gonna we're gonna get some more guests on, um, and that's coming. So that the next one's coming pretty soon. Actually, I might upload episode eighty one pretty soon, um, because it's it's going to be recorded soon. So we'll see. It could be a little bonus episode that one, um, and yeah, I had like a a, a funny kind of like little comment the other day from someone that I saw out and about, and I didn't really know who they were, um, and they were someone that like I've seen a couple of times in the gym, and I just. Like, I just didn't know who they were. You know how sometimes you have those people where you can just nod to and you can just go, all right, like you just say hello and you don't have a clue who they are. And then they told me the other day, like, oh, I've listened to every single one of your podcast episodes. I was like, what? You're doing... I was like, really? And just I was a little bit taken back by it. Um, And again, that just kind of reignites the... I don't know if it's like a passion, but it just reignites the kind of purpose as to why I do this. Like, honestly, there are some podcasts where like 20 people listen to it. And like, you could get a little bit kind of like disheartened by that. Like my podcast hasn't necessarily massively grown over time. Like obviously the novelty of it, when I first started doing it, like a lot of people were listening to it, kind of had like a little bit of a quiet middle. There's been the odd episode that's really like taken off. Um, And then I can, again, just now, like it's, you get in what you, you get back what you put in. Like that's just the old cliche saying, but um, yeah people still listen to it and it's it, it keeps me kind of like wanting to keep making it and wanting to keep doing it and just like sharing random things there'll be some episodes where you'll think like I, I come off some episodes sometimes and I'm like that was boring as fuck Ryan like what even was that but unless it's like genuinely tragic I tend to just post it and just go if people don't like it they don't like it they'll turn off like people's attention span like is like including myself, like just humans' attention span will very much drop off if something's not that interesting. So hopefully this episode can actually be quite interesting. Um, this is like these are the kind of things I read or listen to, and I'm like, wow, that's that's pretty that's pretty mad. Like, and it's I basically titled it Eight Psychological Tricks That Get Played on You Every Single Day. And <clears throat> this is from like this is from people, this is from companies, this is from yourself. So things like essentially like cognitive cognitive biases social cues instinctual triggers things that you do without actually realizing you're doing them um so yeah i think there's gonna be some pretty interesting things here so let's just kind of start let's just jump in so when we consider 
the way that our brain works. It works in like again, I'm not by the way, I'm not pretending to be some sort of like fucking neuroscience brain surgeon psychologist here. I'm going to absolute basics. I will stay very much in my lane because I know that there are people out there that understand this shit to a far higher level than I do. I'm just gonna like explain to you like in the layman's terms, essentially. So cognitive bias is essentially like things that your brain does without you really realizing like things that you think and things that you do and you kind of just do them without really thinking about it and without like catching yourself so things that can affect cognitive bias are like limits on your mind's actual attention like for example only being able to really think of one thing at one time like try like speaking to someone at the same time as reading something on your phone you can't really do it. You can only really focus on one thing at a time. Um, individual motivations. So your own kind of like your own selfish needs, essentially, will will bias towards certain things that you think. A lot of the time, like we forget as humans, like we are selfish as fuck. As much as you may be the most selfish person in the world, a lot of the things that motivate us and drive us to do things on a on an individual day are very much based around what you want, what you need. Um, social pressure of like the people around you of the world that you live in can very much make you conform to certain thought processes emotions are a big one as well um like how you're feeling happy sad angry stressed can very much change the way that you think you just need to consider the last time you were really fucking hungry like what what was the one thing you were thinking about you know when you get hangry you turn into a bit of a dick. I do anyway. When I'm when I'm hungry, I'm just like not really the best person to be around because my main human instinct is like, okay, I need food. Like I'm really not asked about anything else that's going on until I get food. Um, <clears throat> sorry, that's got to be really annoying. Um, you also got to remember like instinctual triggers, like the way that your brain is is made up, like the way that things are ingrained into you. So like a for example, a dog's instinct is to bark at the postie. Why is he barking at the postie? Because he's wanting to protect himself and everyone else in the house. That's instinctual. He didn't just go fucking hate posties, honestly. See that royal mail bastard? Like, I'm going to fuck him up. I hate him. Um, it is an instinctual thing that the dog is doing. Um, I'm trying to think of other examples of things as well, like the a cat's desire to kill a bird again instinctual it's like something that it's kind of ingrained in it to do to catch prey um i'm trying to think of anything like a a mother like you could think of the animal kingdom right now you could think of an actual like human mother responding to her distressed baby like for example like this is why like a mother is more likely to wake up in the middle of the night to respond to her distressed baby than a parent is like i'm sure there will be loads of like i say loads there'll be like mothers listening to this or fathers listening to this who will be thinking, yep, that's probably quite right. Like they're the ones that can sleep through it. I mean, could, I mean that this is kind of like a cognitive, this is a gender bias I'm actually talking about right now, which we're about to go on to. Um, it, there's more chance that the mother's going to wake up because it is an instinctual, um, instinctual thing for them to wake up. Again, you can think about the instinct to protect yourself from danger. Like that is going to be one of the main um cognitive biases that you have like if you see a fucking tiger running towards you 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 run for safety your brain instinctually 
pumps adrenaline into your body, like it spikes adrenaline and it goes, get us fucking out of here, run fast. And by spiking adrenaline, what can you do? You can actually then run faster, longer. Um, I mean, I don't know, God forbid anyone's ever been chased by something that they didn't want to get chased by or someone they didn't get want to get chased by, but you, you seem to be able to get this crazy cardiovascular, um, like ability, which you just don't stop and you can just run and run and run and run. Um, that's because adrenaline is pumping through your body. But like, again, this is not, not necessarily what I was going to speak about, but the thing that I'm trying to get across from this kind of opening, um, part is that there are biases within your brain that make you do things that you don't really know why you've done it or you don't really know why you think it. You're almost in autopilot. There's a certain amount of like brain power that's in autopilot and there's a certain amount of it that actually comes with thought and comes with um, decision-making. Um, again, yeah, look, there's so many examples of this that I could go into, but what I'm about to go into is eight examples of cognitive biases of psychological tricks that get played on you in every single every single day and some of them are just like generally just like they're just interesting they're not like you're not going to learn much from them other than just a cool little fact um oh i have lost one of my slides that is annoying where the fudge is that went you're not meant to say fuck on oh no i've said it now anyway um so yeah i'm trying to think of the first one so let me pull my phone out because I've actually got it on my phone. I don't know. I've just like, I must have deleted the slide or something like that. Yeah. So there's a couple of different ones that really kind of, it made sense to me after I thought about it. But at the, like when I first read it, I was like, wait, what? what's, what is the point in that? So first one is Skyscanner. Now, majority of us will have booked a flight somewhere. We'll have used Skyscanner before. And we just like, we go and punch in like, right, okay, Edinburgh to... Edinburgh to Dubai, for example. And you put it in and then it says looking for results. And it takes like, I don't know, like 10, 15 seconds. And you're kind of just sitting there like, right, okay, it's searching through one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, searching the best prices. And there's loads of different websites do this. Compare the market, do this as well. Um, alongside many other like comparison websites, they will take a purposely longer period of time to search for the to search for the flight that you're looking for, to search for the result that you're looking for, because it essentially makes you perceive that they're trying harder to find you the best result. Now, what we know is that computing is fucking fast. Like internet nowadays does not, unless you fucking have internet in my house, internet nowadays is quick. You press a button and like click of the fingers, the result should be there. But what they do is they slow it down so that you perceive it to be looking for a better deal for you, which and it really isn't. It isn't at all. There's nothing happening there. Um, so it's just the next time you're on Skyscanner, even like on <clears throat> certain search engines, like they'll pretend that it takes longer than it actually does so that you perceive it to be more valuable, um, which is which is interesting. Try to think of the, the other one that I had written down. So another quite funny one slash interesting one is Red Bull. So... Red Bull's obviously been around a long time now. Um, and the initial planning of of Red Bull to like make the energy drink was it was a little bit sweeter. It was it actually tasted like in theory tasted better. But the purpose of Red Bull 
like right now and the purpose of Red Bull when it first came out was to be an energy drink that was meant to was meant to give you wings. It was meant to give you some sort of ability. I mean, it's a caffeinated drink. It doesn't have any sort of superpower, um, but it was meant to give you wings when it first came out. It was meant to make you kind of stronger, faster, fitter, more focused and all those sort of stuff. So what people began to perceive was that if the drink tasted too good, like they were like, nah, this tastes too good. This can't be, this can't be giving me these, these benefits. This can't be giving me these wings because it tastes too good. It tastes too sugary. This has got to be doing bad stuff to me. So what they did was, and loads of energy drink companies will do this nowadays. They will make the taste of their drink worse or more bitter. Like Red Bull's like is generally pretty bitter. Like we're all used to the taste of Red Bull. Now we've probably had one or two over the years, but they've made it taste that little bit more bitter, that little bit worse. So people again, perceive it to be better for their health. A couple of other brands that do that, like, you know, these electrolyte drinks and electrolyte drinks in theory do not taste that great because they're salty. There's energy gels. There are like isotonic drinks. Like they make them taste worse so that you perceive them to have a better health benefit. There are actually heaps of brands out there, heaps of foods, heaps of drinks that do this. And they're playing a little trick on you, making it taste worse so that you perceive that it's better for you. Um, again, which is, I just I found that quite interesting. Um, but it makes sense. It makes sense when you think about it. Um, another one on the list that I've got is, so brands like Prada, brands like Gucci, you know, these very, very high-end brands where clothes are just fucking thousands and thousands of pounds. What these companies do is they stick a, like a really shocking ridiculous fucking bit of bit of clothing on their website and they and or they maybe market it on social media and it's an extortionate price it looks ridiculous it's just like something crazy like i think of the brand that does it all the time um i mean gucci do do it but uh what's the what what is the brand that do it like louis vuitton have a few wacky things out there as well i think of the particular one that does it all the time yeah but anyway any of these high-end brands they will very often they'll just release something just fucking mad. Like I remember there was one that looked like a lollipop lady's costume or lollipop man's costume, whatever you want to call it. And like, like nobody's buying that realistically. Like barely, I mean, I'm sure, there are people that go out of their way to buy this stuff because it is out there. Um, but barely anyone is ever going to buy that stuff, but they'll position it on their website in such a way where it's like, wow, that's so expensive and so mad. Like, I'm going to go and look at that on the website and then you're drawn into the website and then you end up looking at other things and they may position it be beside a bestseller. They'll position it beside something that is, well, bestseller, gets bought quite a lot. Um, and then you're kind of drawn into that, you're drawn into that brand. And there's a trick that so, so many brands use and <clears throat> Stephen Bartlett, who's like the um, diary of a CEO, you've heard of him probably, like he's on Dragon's Den and whatnot. So his one of his first companies... Um, I can't remember the actual name of the company. It was like something social, social, blah, blah, blah. Um, they started off and he spent in his office, they bought a big blue slide. Um, and the big blue slide cost 30K. And he only had like, I think he had a 250K to invest. He got on a 250K investment for his for his office. He spent 30K of it on a, on a slide, like a big blue slide. The big blue slide had no functional purpose for the office. <clears throat> but what it did was, is that it brought magazines, it brought TV programs, it brought documentaries, it brought um, social media kind of um, attention 
to his office because they're like, wow, what a fun place. It has this fucking massive slide in the middle of it. And that helped his company grow. They just put something mad and ridiculous right in the middle of it that had no functional purpose and it drew people towards it. Um, and again, there's so many examples of that all over the place. Like just have one crazy, mad, like obscure thing there. Oh God, I'm trying to think of the other example of that. Um, yeah, so the, the next one that I'm going to go on to is Uber. Now, Uber as a brand is one of the most, like, one of the smartest inventions that, like, it just seems so obvious. Like, how, who, like, I'm so annoyed. Like, why did I not come up with Uber? Like, why did I not come up with the idea of that? Like, it is so simple. It's so effective. And it's just, like, taxi companies for years were literally just, like, pissing about. And there was this that could have been made. Now, Uber, as we know, is an app. And I'm talking about the taxi app right now, not the uh, not Uber Eats or anything like that, which is obviously equally just as smart. Um, it was kind of like the first, like, well, I'm not sure if it was the first, but one of the first kind of like mobile food delivery apps that just made things easier. And one of the main, like one of like the most important cognitive biases is that between you, and again, this is trying to help you like understand when you go to buy something, like it's helping you understand like what the, seller is thinking when he's selling to you so that you don't get kind of dumbfounded by this stuff so with uber obviously it's not necessarily selling you something it's it's a it's a it's a service I suppose you're still selling it but um with uber what they did was they wanted to take the taxi company taxi companies in general and they want they looked at taxi companies and they went between me getting my taxi getting in the taxi and getting to my location where is their friction? People don't like friction. People like easiness. People like make me get what I want in as quick time as possible without any hassle is typically what we're kind of looking to achieve when it comes to something like a taxi. So think about a taxi process, phone the taxi. Well, okay, that one didn't answer. Let's find another taxi number. I need to Google it. I need to go, okay, four for taxis. Okay, is it VIP taxis? Is it RK taxis? Is it blah, 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 blah. And you're looking at all these different taxi companies. Then you phone them and they go, okay, where are you needing picked up? Da -da -da -da, I'm here. How many people? Da -da -da -da, I'm here. How much is it going to cost? Blah, 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 blah. It's going to cost that much. You get in the car. They're like, okay, mostly people have sat-navs nowadays, but some people don't. Um, and then you tell them where you need to go. You get to where you need to go. You whip the cash out. You're like, all right, how much is it? 15. Okay, there's your change. Blah, blah. Bye-bye. Catch you later. Um it's a process. Like I, I find, I even find like even things like getting buses and taxis, I find that a bit of a pain in the ass sometimes, but that's just the way that we've been kind of like molded into the modern world. Like I used Uber when I was in Australia and it was just so efficient. So when we go to Uber, let's consider like the, the comparison between Uber and the comparison between taxis. So when you jump in, when you jump in an Uber, literally all you do is you go on, it brings your location up, you click where you are, the price is already there. You press the price. It gives you a countdown. It then helps you see where the taxi is coming. You get the little icon of the taxi and it comes flying over. It's like, Doo -doo, here comes your taxi. You can literally watch it come up on the screen. Barely any friction. You don't even need to talk to the guy in the taxi if you don't want to. You can give him a tip. You can pick what music you want in the taxi. I mean, most of them have this function nowadays. Um, and yeah, like that's as simple as that. And people are willing to pay that. Sometimes it's can be pretty expensive, but people are more than willing to pay that. And it's the pain of the social interaction with a taxi driver or the 
the call, like the call that you need to make. You avoid that. You avoid any social interaction. You avoid the pain of actually having to whip cash out and pay them. You just pay them through your bank card. You reduce the worry of waiting. Now, there's a lot of danger surrounding kind of like taxis and that nowadays. And there's a lot of fear created, like getting taxis late at night. If you can get an Uber and you've got it on this this app and you can like record your um your status and like where you are and you can put a beacon call and a distress call on the Uber app of something dangerous is going to happen. Obviously, like 10 years ago, there's like there's no kind of like security slash protection when you jump into a taxi driver's um cab now there's nothing fucking 99.99999% of taxi drivers are absolutely fine but you'll have seen some program where a taxi driver fucking abducts someone you'll have listened to like some true crime where there's a, there's a taxi driver anyone's watched sherlock um i know that's going back a few years now there's an episode when there's this taxi driver basically picking up people and murdering people so you get a little bit scared about that sort of stuff and there's always some story on the news <clears throat> Yeah, so basically, like, that's kind of the the psychology of Uber. And there's a couple other things. Like, I don't know if anyone's ever seen the helicopter selection on Uber. If you're in Dubai, you'll have seen it. You can literally pick a helicopter to fucking take you somewhere. You can, there's, I mean, I've never been to Dubai, so I'm, I'm sure it's above and beyond what I even know right now. You can then pick the most luxury cars. You can get picked up in a Bentley or something like that. Now, again, this goes back to the, there's, this actually goes on to my next thing, which is the Goldilocks Um the Goldilocks bias, I think, it, would you call that a bias? I suppose you would call it a bias. Yeah, so basically the Goldilocks bias. Now, if you've heard the story of Goldilocks and the three bears, then there's three bowls of porridge. There's one that's too cold, there's one that's too hot, and there's one that's just right. So that's the middle one. The middle one is typically the one that they're going to go for. Um, so how brands do this and how companies do this, what they'll do is with prices. Now, just be aware of this next time that you're... And Uber do this as well. So Uber, what they'll do is they'll put... The, the saver one at the very front, like the very start, there's a saver one, you're going to get some old banger that's going to come along and it's going to be cheaper and you're maybe going to have to car share with someone and, oh, God forbid, someone does that. The one in the middle is typically like the one that's like just standard economy and this is the one that's like standard price, decent car, you're going to get the journey on your own. And then above that is the one that's like super expensive, it's the black SUV and it's like, fuck, that's like, that's like 50 quid for five miles. I don't really need to travel in luxury. So what you do is you go for the middle one because that seems like the safe one. Don't want to go too shit, but I don't want to go too expensive. So you go for the middle one, which is just right. It's just it's the porridge that's just right in the middle, that, hence why it's the Goldilocks principle. So what brands do, and yes, guilty of doing this, um, why wouldn't that? It works. You position, position something that someone's probably not going to want to buy. You position something that's a little bit too expensive. The one in the middle is the one that, people tend to buy i don't know the percentage but i just know that people will always pick this it's almost the safe one it's the safe option that you're going to get results with you're going to get what you want but you're not going to buy shit and you're not going to overspend so as i said next time you're on a website and they're giving you the offer of three products just be aware that that company if they're smart and if they're using human psychology to their advantage they're probably wanting you to buy the middle product it probably will position their best and most valuable to them product in the middle and um, which is interesting like again just something that i never really thought about um like a lot of the time that third option is something that they they're not even interested in you buying and probably barely anyone buys it but it's just there for the sake of it and if anyone does buy it oh cool bonus um so yeah another 
cognitive bias. Now, we're going to talk about a rat and some cheese, um, and you'll be able to understand that like heaps and heaps of studies are done in rats um, because they are they're smart. They're smart little things. Um, as much as people are not overly um, enthusiastic about rats, I, I think rats are really they're really smart. They're they're pretty cool animals, and I, I mean I can't imagine I would have a rat if I'm being honest. But um, I like ratatouille. I mean, I'd have one of those rats, the rat that could cook. That'd be fucking cool. Um, anyway, off on a tangent again. So, rat and the cheese study. There's also a cat involved in this study as well. So, it's just again, this is the bias of of fear, pain versus pleasure. So, study again. I did have this quoted somewhere, but I lost it in my notes. But it's—I promise this study happened. You can—you're just gonna have to source. Trust me, bro. Is going to be the source right now. Um. So there is a rat in a cage, and the rat is fed cheese. So the rat gets cheese. If it goes through this little tunnel, it goes away through the tunnel and gets a little block of cheese, and then it gets put back in the main bit again. The tunnel opens. It goes. Let's go and get some cheese, and then it begins to just go. Oh, this is fucking cool. Like I'm just running through here, and this this is what the rat said. He said it's this is fucking cool. Quote the rat. Um. So, yeah, they keep going through the tunnel and they begin to understand that, okay, I can get cheese if I go through that tunnel. Um, so what then happens is they place, obviously, I don't think they, I mean, I wasn't at the study and I'm sure it was done a number of years ago, but what they then did was they demonstrated that if they put a cat at the other side, like from the, the other side from the cheese, what the rat would rather do, the rat would rather run away, away from the cheese, it would just fucking ignore the cheese, 100% of the time if the cat was there. So the, the rat would run away from, from the cat rather than go to the cheese, even though time and time again being shown that it can get cheese if it goes that way. It would run away from the cat rather than go and get the cheese. So, again, in a roundabout way of terrible way of kind of explaining that study, I would have been better just getting that up in front of me, um, is that in rats, but what we also know is this is the same in humans, they will rather run away from fear and pain than run towards pleasure. So the idea behind this is that fear and negative outcome can tend to be a better motivator of, of a human and a rat, obviously, than, than pleasure can. So you got to think about this in a couple of examples. And I don't believe that what one should be done and one shouldn't. I use my own example. When I first went to go through a fat loss phase, when I first wanted to really get, get a six pack, the motivation behind that was not because I wanted to be the healthiest, good, greatest version of myself. And I loved training and I was just so happy to be in the gym. And that was my major motivator. It was it was literally probably only 5% of that. Like it did make me feel good and it was something that I enjoyed. But the main motivation, the thing that got me out of bed in the morning was, was negativity, was fear was the fear of not being accepted, was the fear of being judged, was the fear of not being good enough, was the fear of being rejected by the opposite sex. Um, and that was the thing that motivated me more and more and more and more than anything else. Now, you just got to think about your own examples. Like, what are you running away from? Like, what cat are you running away from in terms of the motivators behind your journey? Because there's almost no doubt there is going to be some sort of negative motivator. And I don't want you to think that's a bad thing. I want you to just understand that there has got to be a portion of positive and negative 
because negative energy runs out because what happens is like if you are consistently motivated by negative energy by the by the feelings of someone else or by the feelings of the people around you or by what you think people think of you that energy eventually runs out because negative energy and negative motivators are not always something to be relied on um it's i tend to think like negative motivation is what gets you started it's what get you gets you started on your journey towards whatever it is that you're pursuing in your life like how many times have you had a goal in your life and it's because it's like fuck you like i'm going to show you that's exactly what i'm going to do i'm going to i'm going to show you that i'm i'm worthy or i'm going to show you that i'm i'm capable of this so yeah just understand that like you can't be getting chased by the cat constantly like you've got to have a certain amount of pleasure attached to some of your goals certain amount of why am i doing this like what am i getting out of this what am i going to achieve that's positive um but yeah there's always going to be that little bit of negative energy that helps motivate you here's another one a little bit more specific to kind of like nutrition and a little bit more specific to like kind of the like we're not overly interested in like sky scanner and stuff like that and doesn't really do much for us but what this is a bit more practical so food labeling so we obviously know that like supermarkets, the the food industry, um, the supplement industry, nutrition, just the whole kind of shebang in general is very, like, it, there's regulated to a certain extent, but there's a lot of bollocks out there. There's a lot of, there's a lot of psychological tricks going on. There's a lot of kind of swicking people into thinking certain ways and the way that society would have you believe that you should be eating is probably nowhere near the way that you should really be eating. Now, we all know that there are some ground rules when it comes to food. Now, ground rules is probably not fair because I know everyone has different ways and different kind of methodologies with their food and everyone's diet's just a little bit different. You very rarely find any two people that will eat the same. Um, there'll be similarities, but everyone's got their own unique taste and their own unique needs with food. Um, and... Yeah, with the way that kind of supermarkets are laid out, um, they obviously are laid out in a certain way. But for you to to buy things, like, for example, there will be certain foods at certain levels on the supermarket as to the ones that they really want you to buy. So the, the best offers will tend to be at eye line height. <coughs> the most... Uh, the the best sellers will again tend to be at eye line height um someone that works in a supermarket maybe tell me different maybe maybe they're not thinking that much into this but i could guarantee if you went to america this would very much be the case um things that they want to sell like best sellers things that are on offer um yeah companies will position their their um their product where they want it to um i'm trying to think of something else as well like for example, again, let's go into food labeling. So food labeling is something that can be very, that can really throw you off. Like the branding on certain boxes, on certain objects can just, can draw you in, can just really kind of draw you in. Certain colors, certain texts, certain words can really draw you in. Now, if you're someone like me, who a few years ago was obsessed with like hitting my pro, I'm still, I wouldn't say obsessed with hitting my protein, but I hit it every, pretty much every day because it's, it's good for my recovery, blah, blah, blah. But before, I would have just been like looking around the supermarket going like, where's the, oh, protein. It says protein on it. Let's fucking buy that. It says protein. It says protein. Um, Obviously, I need to buy that if it's high protein, bro. Like you look at some of these products and it's like, right, high protein. Um, Just trying to think. 
so there's some mad ones out there now, like high protein crisps. Um, what high protein crisps? Like just fucking eat a packet of Walkers, mate. Like just because it says high protein doesn't actually mean it's high protein. Number one example of this is you go into Aldi and these things are actually they actually taste decent to be fair. I've got literally they're in my fridge right now, so I'm maybe a bit of a hypocrite. But high protein pancakes from Aldi. So yes, okay, they have some protein in them, more so than normal pancakes. But if you actually read the protein content based on the grams that are in that bag, it's almost it's like 12, 12 grams of protein for the whole bag. And the whole bag is something like 500 to 600 calories. Think about bang for your buck in terms of what you're actually getting out of there. If you want more protein with some pancakes, what you need to do is literally buy a normal pancake, simple, normal pancake. You get some Greek yogurt, maybe mix some whey protein into it. You've got about 30 grams of protein for about half the calories. You've got to read the packaging. You've got to really understand what you're looking at. Things like low sugar. Now, fact about low sugar the term suggests that a product would be this low sugar would suggest there's almost no sugar in it, or it would be completely free of sugar, but it can actually contain 0.5 grams of sugar in a single serving size. So products labeled sugar-free may also have higher levels of fat to actually make them taste better. So like when you think about it, if something's low in fat, it may be higher in sugar. If something's lower in sugar, it may be higher in fat. There is always something that needs to be done. Like if it's Again, if it's low in sugar, there's going to be loads of artificial sweeteners in there. Again, don't want you to get scared about artificial sweeteners. Don't want you to get scared about sugar. Don't want you to get scared about fat. Don't want you to really worry about it at all. But I just want you to know that these labels sometimes, and again, like, fuck, we'll take some, I've mentioned them on every podcast episode for the last five weeks. I'm actually beginning to think I'm some sort of like fucking fanboy. Eddie Abu, don't agree with everything that he says. But sometimes the, the points that he makes is like he, he's fucking running through the supermarket going, don't eat this shit, don't eat this shit, don't eat this shit. His point is is a little bit skewed. It's not a case of don't eat it. It's like a case of understand that like if something says it's low sugar or it's low fat, you look at the calories and you go, okay, it's slightly lower in calories. Okay, that's maybe, that's maybe going to be fine for me. That's maybe going to be good. But what it doesn't always mean is that it's superior. You don't have to constantly pick the light products. You don't have to constantly pick the low-calorie products. You just need to understand that, like, sometimes it's not actually that much better. Like, it could be a fraction better, and it could be more expensive, and it could have loads of other artificial shit in it. Things like, um, sorry, I'm getting a bit of indigestion here. Yeah, and like when something says like it's a light, so if you see like Muller light or you see like light bread or you see like just light in general, light bread doesn't like something light does not have to meet any particular standard for calorie, fat or cholesterol content on its own. It simply has to be better than its compatriot. Compatriot? It's average than the average bread. So if you've got Warburton's light, all that needs to be is one calorie lower or one gram of sugar lower than average bread for it to be classed as light or what they sometimes do is they just make the fucking bit of bread smaller it's like it's mental like oh here's like light bread or here's nimble bread yes nimble because it's fucking small like it's, it's literally just a week sorry i've said fucking about three million times on this podcast um it's literally just because it's a wee bit smaller again like i still eat that stuff sandwich thins bagel thins like i'll still have this stuff like it controls your portions and that's cool that's there's nothing wrong with that but sometimes it's just like it's just a way of tricking you. And again, another one that's mental is like low carb. 
The FDA does not have any guidelines for labeling foods as low carbs. For this reason, label can be used on virtually any product. Will the product most definitely have lower carbohydrates than its standard product? Yeah, but they don't actually have any rule around that, or they didn't when I read this. They make it sound any way they want it to sound. So just don't be too tricked into things, okay? Common cognitive biases. Now, this is just a couple of just like really common ones that you'll probably understand and they probably make a lot of sense. So confirmation bias is the bias based on looking for overvaluing information that confirms our beliefs or expectations. So this is like confirmation bias as an example would be like, right, okay, you go into a debate and the debate is about Messi or Ronaldo being the GOAT. Um, you already believe Messi is the GOAT. Therefore, there's a certain amount of confirmation bias before you even go into that debate. You're not really up for debate anyway. You already fucking think Messi is the GOAT. So there's not even any point in arguing. Um, again, another confirmation bias would be... Well, there's, one, there's a couple of pretty extreme ones, like around trust and authority. So, like, for example... Um, again, let's use a really fucking morbid um, example of this. Harold Shipman, like notorious serial killer, killed around about 218 people um, by injecting a lethal dose of just, I can't actually remember exactly what it was, but just basically an injection that killed them. Um, you would be led to believe that, oh, no, he's a doctor, so he's he's all right. Like, he's 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 a good person. He, he's not going to be lying. He's going to be totally fine. Like, the well, trust and authority is essentially like a, a bias. Like we we trust policemen, we trust doctors, we trust people in in suits. And sometimes that can be to our detriment, but for the most part, they're they're all pretty cool, they're all fine. And um, they tend not to murder over 200 people. Um, there is examples of this, so people like abusing authority, um, and because of this, this bias of like believing these people will not be liars or they won't be bad people it can sometimes be to our detriment. So we tend to believe that these people are good people when sometimes it's not It's not true. Um, there's another one, like Gabriel Wortman. Like he was a 51-year-old dental worker um, who essentially posed as a policeman. Instantly, he has that trust of people around him because of the, the suit that he's wearing. And he went on to kill, like, fuck, I can't remember how many people he killed, a lot of people. I think it was like 16 people. Um, you may have heard of that one. I'm going to stop it, but people dying now because it's a bit fucking morbid. Um, another one's like gambler's fallacy is the tendency to believe that something will happen because it hasn't happened yet. So like on the roulette board, roulette board is like, right, okay, fuck. One's just came in. Okay, black's just came in. It's definitely not going to be one in black again then. So like that's gambler's fallacy. There is absolutely every chance that one in black can come in again it's like okay it rolled black the last time i'm not going to roll red again. i'm not going to roll black again yet there's definitely a chance again that could happen but because of the fallacy that we have or it's like don't don't bet the early kick don't bet on the early kickoff because because the early kickoff let me down last time that is a completely like made up bias within your head because you believe that because the early kickoff let you off let, let you down last time that you won't bet on again but I think that's actually fucking true. Like, do not ever bet on the early kickoff. Um, it's just silly. Um, yeah, and there's like group attribution error where, like, because you may have had a negative experience with one member of group, like you went into a doctor's practice and you had a negative experience with the receptionist, you then say that 
that doctor's practice is a set of bastards, set of pricks. I hate them all. Shite, shite doctor's practice. When in reality, it was just one person from that group. This can tend to happen with like gender, religion, political party. If someone had a bad experience with a polit- like a current, I don't know, like a local Labour MP or something like that, then they can just go around saying, oh, fucking Labour's load of shite, when it could just be one person. Um, hopefully that makes sense. A couple of other cognitive biases. People are more likely to remember negative experiences than positive ones. There are reasons why on TripAdvisor there are so many more negative reviews than positive ones. People are more likely to speak about their negative experiences than positive experiences. There is a negativity bias in human beings. It is just a thing. And there's a reason that it's there is to protect us. Negativity bias is an instinctual process that has protected us for years. Again, I've used this as an example a million times before. Caveman goes into cave, sees saber-toothed tiger, gets chased by the saber-toothed tiger. He fucking remembers that. He's like, goes home and he tells everyone in the tribe, here, there's a saber-toothed tiger in that cave. Well, didn't go near that. But if he was to go to that cave and a wee, like, I don't know, like a little cute fucking, I don't know what I'm trying to say here, a little cute, like baby woolly mammoth came out and he got to pet it. Like, I, to be fair, I'd go home and tell people about that if that happened, but he's more than likely not going to tell people about that because it was a positive experience. Now that's a really weird example, but you get the point. Like if you had a negative experience somewhere, there's more than more than likely as a human, your instinct will be to go and tell other people and to tell people about your negative experience. It's just the same as like, it's human nature. Like you have like, say for example, you play a game of football and you have 89 solid minutes of football. You score now, you assist two goals, you have a great game, you don't put a foot wrong, and then you go and score an own goal. The only thing that you will really kind of remember is the own goal, and you'll get pissed off at yourself for the own goal. Um, again, there's loads of different ex- of examples you could use for that. Um, another bias is like prioritizing short-term gains over long-term benefits. Um, there's a reason for this. We can't see long-term benefit right now. Like investing is a hard thing to do because you're putting away, let's say you're putting away £100 every single month and you're investing in a stocks and shares ISA. Um, you put it away. You don't see that money. Like you've got to remember, you might not see that money for 20 years. You might be investing this for the next 20 years. Therefore, you're a bit like, oh, like, fuck, like, what am I actually doing? Like, can I spend this money now? Um, like that's why people want quick fixes because they want results now. And that's why they prioritize short-term gains because they cannot see what's going to happen long-term. Although the long-term benefit may far outweigh the little gain that you're going to get right now. People will eat like a massive takeaway on a Saturday night and then regret it on a Sunday because short-term it felt really fucking good, but they didn't think about what it was going to feel like on Monday. Um, People are more likely to take risks when they feel like they have nothing to lose. Um, And this is another cool one. Like I think, People forget that when you're at rock bottom, when things look really shit, when you feel like you've got nothing, sometimes that can be a really powerful place to be. That can be a really positive position to be in because having nothing to lose means that you've only got you know, stuff to gain. Like I remember when I first started this business, like the, the fucking motivation and the drive that was inside of me to sit in front of this laptop every day and just batter out work was relentless because I was like, I need to make this work. I need to make things happen. Um, so yeah, that's something not to be underestimated. Social media. I'm going to fire through this one pretty quickly. Nearly 85% of people choose a product based on its color. 
Also, we know that colors trigger psychological responses, but did you know brands use, oh, so I'm reading off this thing right now, use this advantage on social media. So yeah, how colors affect your psychology or influence, influence our perception of a product or brand. Red suggests urgency, passion, energy, romance. Purple suggests intellectual, regal, luxurious. Yellow suggests joy, happiness, peace. Blue suggests trustworthiness, approachable, soothing. Green slash like kind of like suggests freshness, environment, money, start. White suggests cleanliness, emptiness, purity, simplicity, innocence. Innocence? Innocence. Innocence. You know when you say a word too many times, it just kind of just like tunes out. It doesn't even sound like a word anymore. Um, brands will also, things on social media will use like, will use the angle of like, they'll use the angle of FOMO. Like they will use the angle of you are missing out. Like you you should have FOMO right now that you don't have this brand or you're not at this event or you're not seeing this film. That's what they tend to use. They use like an angle of fear. Like you should you should be worried that you're not using this. Like your your health is in, in danger. Like a lot of health products will say, use, I'm just using an example here, like a random example, use ashwagandha or you'll fucking have a heart attack. Nobody's really using that, but it's along those lines. Um, it's kind of like the message is like everyone's doing it and you're not doing it. Like everyone is a nine to five athlete and you're not. Like what the fuck are you doing? Um, yeah. And then what you'll find is like just be aware of this on social media, especially on products. You'll see people commenting below, which are just they're bots. Like oh my god, like I'm just using my brand as an example. I used the nine to five athlete and it was absolutely great and it was absolutely amazing and blah, 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 blah. It was so easy to use, and I got great results. Sometimes people use bots, like especially like big companies, they'll use bots to comment on their posts, and you go, I think people actually, people like this. Um, people actually use this. Oh, no, maybe I should use it. Um, they also use things like, they'll use the algorithm to like create, not to create, but to position people that look like you, they're the same age, they're doing the same things, using that product that you need. Um like, I got fucking stung the other day by, I say stung, it was like three quid, from TikTok shop, TikTok shop, I've never bought anything off there in my, in my life, it's like it heard me, it might have heard me, I don't know, I was moaning about, this isn't like this ridiculous thing to moan about, I swear I don't moan about stuff like this all the time, the, like, our dishwasher is basically shite, like, and we've been hand washing dishes, God forbid, um, and I really wanted a drying rack, like a better drying rack that had more space. Like saying, you know, TikTok shop, TikTok shop, that's a tongue twister, just chucked up this random drying rack, had two levels, and I was like, wow, like three quid, get me that. Next thing I know, I've got fucking like drying racks and weird kind of like kitchen appliances popping up on my TikTok with people using them. And that's what the algorithm does. Like it shows you shit that it thinks you like and it thinks you're going to buy. Um, Another random one that I chucked in here was, did you know, that like when you're looking at TripAdvisor, when you're looking for restaurants and when you're looking for places to go, um, when you see five stars, there is a cognitive bias that essentially means that you don't really believe it's five stars. Like you'll read five stars and you'll be like, hmm, sounds too good to be true. Like people kind of are doubtful of that sort of stuff. But four people go to more 4.5 stars and four stars than they do to five stars on TripAdvisor. If it's got five stars, people begin to doubt it. And they're like, man, there must be some sort of like trickery going on here. People go to more four stars and 4.5 stars than they do five stars, which is interesting. Um, another one is, another one and the last one actually, is that, although I talked about earlier, 
the whole thing with Uber and reducing friction, um, there's actually like a, a weird kind of like bias that goes on that a little bit of friction can create value when it comes to certain products, products that you actually like own, products that you create yourself. So number one example is like, if anyone's heard of like, you know, Betty Crocker, like, you know, the, the kind of like cake company that you get the, these pre-mixed um, like cakes in and you can make like a Victoria sponge or something like that. Um, so what they used to do, they used to sell the cake mix, the the batter and the egg all in one kind of box. And all you would need to do is literally put in, um, you would just need to mix it all together and that was it. It was done. Boom. They found that their sales were pretty shit. They found that they really weren't selling anything. Um, so they were kind of thinking, well, what the hell's going on here? And what they found was is that the people making them did not, they didn't see the value in making it. They kind of just thought, well, what's the point in this? So their sales skyrocketed after they actually took the egg out. They only had the batter. And what they wrote on the packaging was just like, they wrote on the packaging was like, just add egg. So you had to go out your way to buy your own egg. But what that did was that added more value to the process that added more value to you making the cake and you felt more kind of like, oh, fuck, I've made the cake. Um, Ikea do this exact same thing. They do the exact same thing with the flat pack furniture. So yes, could you probably buy this furniture somewhere else and have it like pre-made? You could have someone come and make it for you. But what they do is they give you instructions and they make you make it. And when you're finished with your amazing cupboard slash invention, the thing sitting behind me was actually an Ikea flat pack that I most definitely didn't make. Ellie made it. I kind of just held things as she screwdrivered things. I'm very much not the man of the house. Ellie does all that sort of stuff. Um, and you see more value in your in what you've bought because you actually have a say in making it. Um, which again, I've just, I just I found pretty interesting. There's a, there's a lot of examples of this across the world. Did you also know a little fun fact about IKEA is, is that the, the, there's obviously a maze for a reason. You know how you walk into IKEA and it's literally a fucking maze, like and it takes you around this elaborate kind of journey through bathrooms, bedrooms, kitchens, and then what it does is it strategically places the cheap stuff at the end, the stuff that you're most likely to buy. You know that stuff where you kind of just like you come out of IKEA and you're like, oh, I just bought this little cactus, or I just bought a a little painting of a fucking, I don't know, like some random city or something like that. And um, they strategically place that at the end because that's the stuff that people buy when they're kind of like, oh, I've not bought anything. Like people kind of like to go to shops and like to buy something, like to come out with something. Um, so yeah, I found that pretty interesting. Um, last one is that people are more interested in variable awards, rewards than just standard rewards. This is why McDonald's monopoly is so successful. People actually have like there's a little kind of like buzz inside them to go, oh my God, what am I going to win? Is it going to be like, is it going to be Piccadilly Circus or is it actually going to be like a McFlurry? And people get really excited about that. And that's why McDonald's um, Monopoly does so well. There's loads of other examples of that across the world. Um, so yeah, that is the psychological biases slash, what did I actually name it? Eight psychological tricks that get played on you every single day. Um, yeah. Hopefully you enjoyed that. Hopefully there was something that you took away from that, something that you maybe didn't know. Um, and it'll hopefully be help you be more aware when you're like getting sold things online. Um, and yeah, the scariest thing about this all is that like AI is coming. It's coming It's coming faster now and it's, it's just going to be playing even more tricks on you. Um, it's going to be tapping into your psychology even more. So um, you've got to be a little bit more aware about this stuff or you're just going to be ending up with fucking fidget spinners and hourglasses and 
just random shit just all over your house because you're just going to be so attached to buying things off the algorithm. Um, but anyway, hopefully there was some sort of interest to that. Um, it was a totally random episode, but I'm quite interested in this stuff. And a lot of it came from Stephen Bartlett's new book um, and just like modern wisdom. Like I just I like listening to sort of stuff like this, just random interesting facts um, that don't really do much for me, but they help me become more aware of the things that are going on around me. Catch yous after. <laughs>